This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Hello. Richie Ote is actually uh, off doing a speaking thing. So I he's, know. He's taking the stage right now. We wish him well on that. And uh, White Wade's got it under control in the studio there. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. And here on Reinvention Radio, we do our best to scour the planet and bring you the most interesting folks from all walks of life. And uh, today we've got a very interesting guest on who will be covering the business side of the spectrum, uh, and I'm super excited to to bring her on here shortly. Uh, we actually just wanted to bring you guys up to date on the, on the social level for a second here. So I took the family to L.A. Um, last weekend. So me and the wife and the two boys, we went to L.A. And been to L.A. a number of times, but uh, I've never really done like the touristy, touristy thing. And the boys, you know, being boys, they want to do some of that fun stuff. So so we dug in. We took them to the Hollywood sign, got some really good photos, and kind of went up the back roads there and okay. got them as close as we Sit could. Sit on one of the letters. Sat on one of the letters. Yeah, right. <laughs> that thing is, yeah, it, like, the whole hilltop is just filled with cacti. Like, they intentionally yeah. planted, like, crazy oh, sure. cacti there to kill people, evidently, if you try to get up that way. So, no, we got as close as we could without dying, um, which was good. Got them a nice photo there. We did the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, and then we decided to do something really interesting. We we did a tour called a hell um, hell Jesus L A hood tour. So um, like a tour of neighborhoods. Well, oh, well that kind oh. of would be a hell no, A yeah, say, would, right? Yeah, far. a hell A hood tour, right? And really, really interesting because the idea here was to go through some of the neighborhoods that we wouldn't normally go through, places like Compton and Crenshaw and Watts and the seriously, uh, absolutely dead serious, and <laughs> oh, wow. um, South Central LA, and uh, you know, getting down into some of the borders of Long Beach there, and so on. Hmm. Um, and I, I didn't know really what to expect going in. We were in an unmarked van, so it wasn't like a tour bus kind of thing. There was ten of us in total. And the guy was playing thumping music throughout and talking about different places, showing us where Biggie was, Biggie Smalls, Tupac, you know, all that oh, stuff, yeah. like all that story stuff, and Rick Ross and Suge Knight and like the whole, all, all the details. We, we drove by homes where Easy E grew up. It's actually his mother still lives there, and Dr. Dre, his childhood home, and Kendrick Lamar, and so on. And it was just, it was really interesting to go through these neighborhoods and and hear the stories, stories you would never hear. And as we were going through this, our, our tour uh, operator just kind of casually dropped that he's still an active crip. And he's an older guy, so he's what they call an old G. He's a gang. He's still in the gang, but he's not an active gangbanger, and he actually served 13 years for attempted murder uh, and aggravated assault. And, you know, and, and you can't make this up. You can't make this up. Right. And just kind of casually drop that as part of the tour. Then I started talking to him as we went throughout this tour. Now, after that, having a better understanding of his background and so on, really knowledgeable as we go from Street 44 to Street 46, he'd be like, OK, this is the 44th Street Crips with this, that and the other. You get to 46th Street and this is the 46th Street. That, it was just like it was unbelievable to get such an inside look at a part of L.A. and, and the different neighborhoods and so on that you'd never get. And. 
So anyway, long story short, we had done a series on uh, reinventing the homeless. Right. And and I really want to do a series, and I'm going to do a series, so Kelly, mark this down. We're going to do a series on reinventing gang life or something of that nature. It's really that alive and well? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Like crazy alive and well. And It, it is. And it's, it's not simply just, part of the fabric of, the, of our society. Our society hasn't changed since. Yeah. Right? And it's not just Bloods and Crips. I mean, so that's the two most well-known gangs, right. right? And those are mostly the blacks that are in Bloods and Crips. But there's the Asian gangs. There's the Hispanic gangs. I mean, there's like, but, it, it's crazy. And, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Ray. I mean, I don't want to get too much into it because we really want to bring on our guest right, today. Right. who's probably like, what the hell have I gotten myself but into I here? just wanted to throw in, what I loved is he's talking about the music. So imagine if yes. you did it almost like you go down to the Delta and do, do a tour of the blues guys. Yeah. Right. And that helps you understand where their music came from. For sure. And maybe if you did that spin on it, where the artist in this music came from yeah. and give a bit deeper feel. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah there's definitely, def- definitely, def- definitely different angles that we can take on that. And uh, I've actually been talking to Reverend Michael Flager uh, out of Chicago, who's really involved with that whole community there. So I'm hoping to get Reverend Michael Flager on and, uh, and some others as well. So if you guys know of folks who have reinvented their lives and were maybe were in part of the gangs and have gone on to do other things and so on. You should interview um, the bus driver. The, well, for sure. So he's definitely coming on. Yeah, his name is so Steve. Steve Barbie. He's definitely coming on. Kind of legitimized himself? Trying, you know, okay. trying as best as he can. And, 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 and it's actually a really interesting segue into today's conversation because what you, what you see in that world is really a lack of opportunity and people just creating opportunity for themselves in the best way that they can. When you have no other options and you still have to put food on the table, what are you going to do, right? I mean, you, you have to do something. Are they proud of what they do? No. I mean, I think if they had an opportunity to tap into what, what our guest Judy is going to be sharing with us here today, who knows what their lives might be like. Hmm. And you can see some of the success stories coming out of the ghettos and in those neighborhoods and, and how they've been able to lift themselves up by the bootstraps. Like, look at Easy e and NWA and everything that happened there in Compton. And, you know, reality is they sold drugs to raise the money that they needed to create these albums and then marketed those albums with the money that they had, that they had brought in through illicit activities to try to legitimize themselves, right? So it's just, yeah. it's, it's a really interesting Means look. to an end. Means to an end. Yeah, it's a really interesting look at at, at the means to an end and, and what it takes. And so, uh, again, we'll do that series. But I thought it was a really interesting uh, segue here into our conversation with Judy. Let's actually just let's bring Judy up right now. Judy, is it Robinette or Robinette? I want to make sure. Robinette, to, Steve. Robinette. Okay, it is Robinette. And so Judy's the author of a couple of different books. And uh, today we're actually going to be talking about crack the funding code and how investors think and what they need to hear to fund your startup. And so we got a lot of ground that we're going to cover. And this this is it's funny because like we are all wired to excel in very specific ways and certain things just put fire in your soul. And when I started reading your book here, it's like this is so aligned with everything that I love. I, I don't know how much you know about me, Judy or Mary or the team here. Um, but I've actually been online since 1993 when we launched on CompuServe's electronic mall. Wow. That, that, that company became Liquor.com, like what you drink, uh, which I'm still involved with on a board level to this day. And we've raised about $12 million for that company. I unfortunately have gotten to the point where I've got no control over the damn thing anymore. 
I would like to explore doing a majority acquisition or a full-on acquisition to get that thing back. And it's just like there's so much of this book that I'm reading here. And like just that entrepreneurial fire is like so alive in me. And I was like, oh, my God, like you are speaking my language. So, Judy, give, give everybody just a, a brief understanding uh, of your background because you've got a pretty interesting storied background having worked as a CEO and, and with uh, angel groups and so on and so forth. But g- give us the one minute. Who is Judy? Yeah, so I, if you if you saw that movie, Napoleon Dynamite, uh, that's where I went to high school. And I started as a social worker, couldn't stand to see kids abused, mm. got a degree, a master's in, in uh, economics, and worked for a couple of Fortune 500 companies, thought I would die, and started my first company, mm-hmm. almost went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my backstory. And I do sit on VC boards. I, I advise hedge funds and incubators and Absolutely. You're right, Steve. And, and it is all about opportunities. Yeah. Um, so that's why I really did the book. I was so frustrated going around the world, meeting people that had, you know, a brilliant business model that could change the world a bit. And they could not figure out the funding game. Yeah. And and so it's, it's really interesting because there's a couple of different paths, if you will, that people can go down when they are in your position of, of, of having that experience and knowing what they know. It And if I'm reading between the lines here, it, it almost sounds like you're doing this from an altruistic standpoint to some extent. Obviously, you want to make money. You want to get paid as a keynote speaker, and you should be paid for that expertise. But was was this particular career path for you really born out of that frustration? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I helped my first startup that was uh, a friend of mine that was an angel investor wanted me to look at this unknown company in Park City called Skull Candy. And the founder had been bankrupt three times and, you know, he was broke. And um, I helped with that company. It went public two years ago. And, mm-hmm. and I'm very well convinced, as Einstein said, if you're going to play the game, you'd better know the rules. Yeah. Uh, and I have done this. I mean, I just turned 66 on Saturday. Um, and I, I want uh, to change the world a bit. And I don't know if you've uh, seen Clayton Christensen's new book, The Prosperity Paradox. Mm-hmm. But he talks about how many trillions of dollars have been sent to third world countries and the countries are worse off. Mm-hmm. And he said, rather than top down, we need to do bottom up. We need to do the entrepreneurs. Yeah. And that's kind of the premise and some of the thinking behind companies like Kiva, right, that do the the give back and the micro, micro loans and those sort of things. Is that is there any comparison or is there any analogy there you can draw? Um, you know, I think those are all good. Those really fit into the social impact investing um, I, I usually do kind of the hardcore, I guess you would call equity. So mm-hmm. I deal with family offices who now, by the way, have more, they see more deals than the VCs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, corporate VCs, there's more of them than there are regular VCs. But you know, the, the secret is there's 300 angel groups across the United States equally. Mm-hmm. And 75% of them invest in the state they live in. No lack of money, 297 trillion in private wealth. It's insane. And and so I think mm, part of what I, we, we have to destroy the, the myth of here is that most of the folks who, who have that sort of wealth and who have, mm, let's just say, the, the money sitting in the bank, if you will, most of those folks actually want to deploy that capital as Absolutely. opposed to just holding on to it. So why do you think there's this this myth of – folks who have money maybe not wanting to deploy the capital that they have. And, and as a matter of fact, and, and you say this in the book, and I've, and I've heard this over the years, there, are, there, there, there is more money available 
then there are good ideas to invest in. Can you can you yes. speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And, and so I think the problem is it depends on your social class. So I'd never met a millionaire, let alone a billionaire. And now I've got lots of, of all of those folks. And they are given or help to learn how to do like strategic networking. Uh, they typically, if their dad's in, in business, they typically know how to do that. Uh, and so that makes, you know, a, a huge difference for, for those folks. Mm-hmm. And so give, it, give us a sense of some of the deals that you've been actively involved in on a personal level, either through your, through your role as, uh, as an angel investor or through your role of working with VCs, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to understand the scope of some of the deals that you've been directly involved with and, and how much capital has been deployed directly through your hands. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of those are kind of private, but, um, you know, Skull Candy, they went public for just under half a billion dollars. That was really the first company I really helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was nice. I'm an advisor on Springboard, which targets women founders. It's 19 years old. We've now had 19 IPOs wow. and 190 strategic sales. So I sit on their boards. I often vet new people that are coming in, give people advice. Um, you know, the same thing with, with the, uh, the VCs. I just recently did a diplomatic mission to Serbia. Kevin Harrington asked me to vet a company over there. Um, I just raised $5 million for them, helped bring the company to New York. So that's the most recent one I've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And go ahead, Mary. Well, I was just wondering, at what stage does a company have to be at that you'll give them a nod and take a meeting? I mean, do they have to have X percentage of sales or revenues? Or no, a concept. No, no. no. So, so Mary, anybody that writes to me on email or LinkedIn, I try to get back to them. Um, and I do this daily. I hear from people all over the world. So certainly if they're just at the idea stage, um, I will often have them, you know, read my book, Google who the local angels are, who the incubators are. I will send them to the SBA to score the SBDC, who all know investors. Mm-hmm. And all of those services are free. Um, and, and then the next level up, if they do have some sales, then that's the time to really make introductions to angel investors who roughly did $50 billion last year of investing. And we don't know how much family offices because we haven't, they haven't really let out that data yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's probably more than the VCs, which hit $100 billion. Yeah, They wanted to get in the game. So before we get too far down the path here, what, what, what is your email address, by the way? Judy. <laughs> No, Judy at JudyRobinette.com. Yeah. No E on the end, and I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's awesome. And we obviously want to connect our people with you if it's the right fit, and we're going to be going through a lot here. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. And, and I just want to get an understanding, uh, because there's a lot of different funding options that are available to people with ideas. Can you just kind of run us through a, a macro-level look at the different funding options that are available to people with ideas? Sure. Well, it depends on what stage your company is in. So initially what happens is, you know, you put, uh, you use your credit cards, you get money from your friends and family. Hopefully by then you've got what is called the, the product fit with the market. You have people who will actually open their wallet. At that point, you usually look at angel investors. And now I recommend people look at family offices And also, if they have something that would be of interest to the corporate world, a strategic partner, uh, Walmart has done 90-plus acquisitions. 
the Walton Foundation has an incubator, and they see literally 10,000 startups annually. They don't turn down anybody. Hmm. And so looking at a strategic partner, if you have something that you think Walmart might be interested in buying, uh, you need to talk to them mm-hmm. or whoever it is. And the average exit today is $65 million. Um, so not, not a bad way to, to start. And, and we can't just throw out raw numbers like that. I mean, when you're saying $65 million, is that based on the average? Is that EBITDA? Yes. Is that – I mean, how, how – and how are those numbers – in your experience – when you talk about that sort of exit, is that based on cash flow? Is it based on potential? Is it based, like, where does that number even come from? You know, it can be a, a number of sources, actually. I, I mean, if you have a, a hot market, you're growing really fast, you may not even have paying customers. You, you may have this huge following and you're continuing to build, uh, you know, companies like Twitter mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, do an IPO. But typically what happens is if you have a good customer base and there's a good fit, then the corporate VCs will buy you. 95% of exits are from the strategic, the, the corporate buyers. Mm-hmm. And, and that is an average. Um, so I don't know exactly where they get all of those stats from. The best book out there is by Basil Peters, and it's called Early Exits. And you can mm-hmm. also track this. Wilson Sosini has an annual report of financing uh, trends and uh, the Kaufman Foundation also mm-hmm. has this information. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, I was going to ask about trends. Do you guys or the, your colleagues, people you know that are at your level, are you guys watching for trends, watching across different industries and trying yes. to seek someone out? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, so, the, so your problem, uh, you know, it took me years to figure this out, Mary, but everybody's problem is somebody else's solution. And uh, Steve, you talked about, you know, why do these people not know about the, the money? Uh, and, and they don't realize that the biggest problem the investors have is a good deal. And they're often frantic. I, I mean, they're in competition with the other VCs, with the other angel groups. They go to the incubators looking for deals. They go to pitch events. They go to colleges and universities. And I often tell founders you know, when you get in front of the angel groups, you don't have to be desperate. They all know you're looking for money, mm-hmm. but you realize you are solving their problem. Mm-hmm. You know, has that changed? Because 10 years ago, I was kind of in that little world with our company at the time. And it, they kind of like would dismiss more than engage with people who are trying to pitch them. Um, you know, I think it has changed a lot, and part of it is uh, more money and, and more competition, like the corporate VCs, and uh, we see lots more angel groups. And you know, I have been curiously watching um, the uh, the family offices, and and it's funny. A few years ago, the angels just bitched about yeah. family offices. They said these guys aren't smart enough; they don't know how to do due diligence. Yeah. Well, what's funny? The VCs did the same thing when the angels came on the scene. Sure they and did. and now we're seeing, you know, tokens. And and I think that's not going away. I, I think we're going to see um, – and, and part of the reason, Mary, is actually there's so much more information out there. So Dick Wilson of AVC in New York, he's had a billion-dollar exit every year for the past six years. He writes one of the best blogs I've seen. Brad Feld at the Foundry Group, another one. If you have a term sheet, he has – Dozens of blogs that tell you, 
um, anything you want. So you can get your hands on any information. You can all all of the angel groups and VCs have websites now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, let, let's let me let me ask you this, Judy. So what what I really want to make sure people understand then, as we talk about the different types of, uh, of vehicles, if you will, for securing funding. What I first of all, we need to define, and Mary even gave me that. Look, I'm I'm familiar with the term because I've dealt with people like Bessemer and other companies that have these family offices, if you yes. will. But just so that people are clear on that, how would you define a family office? So a family office typically is a, an entrepreneur who had one of those exits, and typically a big exit. Now they have a lot of money, and they realize the best return is going to be in early stage. Now they keep part of their money for their portfolio for real estate, they do mm -hmm. stocks, they do art, but now we're seeing a shift that everybody is moving, they call it the alternative finance because it's risky, to the early stage. Yeah. And I believe there's 3,000 family offices mm -hmm. um, out, out there. And almost every week I hear from someone saying, Judy, you know, keep your, your ears open for, for deals. I spoke at South by Southwest on um, Saturday, and, yeah. and I had a guy from Google Cloud that all he is doing is trying to find companies that may be a fit with yeah. their company. And so just a uh, quick translation on that is basically, as opposed to looking at professional money, right, where you could have, you know, there's some ridiculous funds that have been raised, and those funds are typically raised. Very few of those dollars are going to come in from individuals, right? So if you've got yeah. like a massive fund, that you you, know, you see this in the in the news all the time if you read blogs etc but like you've got like pensions oh okay that will pay into that fund to try to get a decent return you've got like the you know the 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 Saudi Ara you know like Saudi Arabian type yeah. governments yeah sovereign yeah, wealth, like, wealth funds yeah and, mm. and so um, SoftBank has like these ridiculous funds and so on that they're typically funded by professional money and these, these family offices then so you have a great idea you build your company mary you sell it for 50 million right yes please that's what i'm okay, doing good. yes so you got 40 million you decided you want to invest 10 million you're going to keep for your family where does your money go so this is this is what happens in a family office is you would then have someone who would come and help you manage those funds and they would, they're responsible for placing it. Judy, am I getting this close? Am I getting this right? You're absolutely right. Yeah. So the sovereign wealth funds, they control, it's 10% of the world GDP, $7 trillion. That's insane. Wow. That's insane. Uh, and, and they put money in VCs. They put money in, you know, insurance companies. You know, yeah. I sit on Illuminate VC out of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, and she has those institutional investors. Retirement fund, Calper, California's is one of the biggest ones. Sure. And so I have been startled since, you know, I'd never even met a millionaire to just see how much money is everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, I was raised like middle class. I was taught, keep your head down, get a good degree, work hard, people will notice. And I found out it wasn't true. Mm -hmm. And when I was about 38, I went, what is wrong with this picture? These other people that are, are financially independent seem to have figured out something I haven't, and it was equity. Yeah, so, hmm. so it's interesting. And, and I don't want to go too far down the path here of getting into the specifics of these different places where you can tap into fund uh, into into money if you will to to fund your startup or uh, you know as you're looking to scale an existing business 
but you, you, there, there are some trends that are shifting towards, as you call them, tokens and, and ICOs and, uh, and even like crowd funding and so on. So can you, again, just give us a macro level. So if, if you've got family offices and then you've got angels and you've got VCs and, of course, you've got friends and family and bank, you know, bank loans and credit cards and that sort of thing, what, what other funding options exist? So crowdfunding, you know, came on the scene heavily about five years ago, and I've met many people who've successfully raised money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably over a hundred different platforms now. I just tell people do your research and make sure what you're getting into. Uh, the ICOs have fell a, a bit out of favor. I, I met a gentleman from Russia who raised fifty million. Uh, a few years ago, and it was the largest ICO ever at the time. But mm. now I see the shift towards tokens and, and bitcoins and, and blockchains. But, yeah. you know, that's all kind of the Wild West. And I've seen a lot of people kind of get burned with those. And so I would tell people, you know, start with the angels. The angels are very forgiving. They love to coach you mm-hmm. and, and help you. And they're local. Yeah. So in, in on the crowdfunding front, there, there's a there's a maximum raise on 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 that as well. Is there not, or is the sky the limit? Uh, sometimes there is, and and of course, the number one way that people find about crowdfunding deals is on Twitter. Mm, really? <laughs> it's really yeah. interesting. So you can't depend on the platform to do the marketing for you, hmm. and it always comes down to how do I get an investor? I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's an ICO, whatever. It's how do I get an investor? And so people, you know, it's not as simple as you do the white paper, you put this up and people are going to flock. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So let, let's use a real world example here then. Uh, it, let's talk about liquor.com uh, because this is near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I, it's, it's a sensitive subject by all <laughs> stretches of the imagination there. Um, but I created, uh, I created this bed that I got to sleep in here and I brought in a management team to take us to the promised land and so on. And we've raised a lot of money and I'm sitting there in common stock land. And, uh, yeah. you know, and unfortunately I've made a lot of mistakes with uh, what is a very valuable domain. I mean, arguably the domain itself is uh, is a four or five million dollar domain. But we've got about two million people on the database. We get about 45 un- million unique visitors to the site Every year, we work with all the biggest brands in the world, number one, number two, in pretty much every SEO search you can think of. Uh, but our team is not good uh, at monetizing the assets that we have. I mean, this year, uh, 2018, we would have done uh, around five-ish odd million in, in revenue. Uh, and it's all ad-driven. And part of what I want to do is to to come in here and get things cleaned up and, you know, the team that I have in place uh, runs it like it's the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, we've got 30-something people running a $5 million company, which is nuts. Yes. Uh, but my hands are tied. And, I, and again, I created yeah. the monster. Uh, but I think there's a huge opportunity there. And it's a nine-figure exit all day long in 24 to 36 months if we just add a few key revenue initiatives uh, and run this thing uh, in the black as it should be run as opposed to bleeding it out. I mean, how, how do we put a valuation on that? What would a guy like me do? Uh, you know, the first thing I would tell you, Steve, and I can recommend, I would go talk to an attorney at Wilson Sosini or Cooley. Um, Cooley last year did uh, 976 deals and $23 billion. Um, and, and I would have them review, you know, who is your board, what your corporate papers say. 
Uh, it may be that you can find somebody to kind of sweep in and buy the other guys out. You know, they're just living the, the dream, like you said. Those are lifestyle companies. They're not interested. Um, and, and I would just see what you could do. And, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to give you names of, of people. Sure. But this happens all the time, and it usually is because they didn't have um, a well-known law firm that understands the startup world. So I meet all, you know, I meet entrepreneurs all over that have been screwed you know, built it and they're stuck with the common and they're not going to get anything at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, literally right now we are in the process of reviewing and probably the board will accept. I've already, I mean, I've already said no, but I'm the only one on the board who seems to say no to anything. Um, and basically we're looking at taking in about seven, eight million bucks from Pernode and they want to grab 45% of the company and have a, you know, a call option. Uh, to grab the rest wow. of it uh, about three, four, you know, three years from whatever is down the line based on EBITDA. And, you know, the company's not going to have EBITDA. So, yeah. period. And and so it's it's frustrating, you know, and, yeah. it's, and it's frustrating because, well, it's frustrating on a number of levels. But as I said, uh, it is something that uh, I take personal responsibility on in terms of what's been created there. But maybe a call to a firm is uh, is the right first step. Yeah, I, th- I think it is because they could review the documents and say, here's option A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And potentially bring folks to the table who can help from an investment standpoint as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, Gary Gary Vanerchuk, I would be reaching out to him. Yeah, Gary, I've known personally for a long time. We actually looked at this, and um, and he's got way too much going on with VaynerMedia and so on. But that's uh, that's a whole other discussion. So let's let's help people here really understand uh, kind of the numbers that you need to crack because I know that's a, a big part of what you teach here are the numbers, if you will, that you need to crack the the funding code, so to speak. And you've got nine of them. So let's try to get inside the mind of an investor and yeah. what what is it that they're really thinking and and why they would say yes to your startup or, or business you're looking to scale? Yeah. So, so I tell people, make it as easy for the investor as possible. That includes getting a Delaware C-Corp. You know, all the lawyers... Everybody's familiar with that, investors, uh, and they understand that. I've even uh, White Star VC out of New York, Lyland Masterman, who is a good friend of mine and, and one of their partners, said to me he wouldn't even be on an advisory board unless the corporation was a Delaware C. And um, so there's mistakes to avoid. We call it hair on the deal. You know, you don't get financials prepared by Uncle Bill down the street. Um, um, and you make sure any loan that comes in gets documented. But if I start at the top, uh, to put yourself as a high potential startup, number one, you need to be really clear on your exit and have some comparables because those investors want their money back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I've met people say, well, do I have to sell the company? And I say, yes, at some point you're going to have to do something to get their money back. Um, and the second thing is to mitigate risk as viewed by the investor. Um, and the number one area they bet on is the team and the CEO, you know, Mm -hmm. can they really execute, get it to market, reduce the risk. And so they're looking at that. And I tell people, um, you know, if you do that lean startup, little worksheet, they have the value proposition in the middle. I always say, let's put the prettiest bow on that. We can, Mm -hmm. uh, make sure you have a high powered law firm. Uh, you have an accountant who has expertise deeply in the world that they can pick up the phone. They can, you know, call potential partners for you. 
uh, everybody's got money. And as, as you've learned, um, all money is not good money. Yeah. Uh, and so those things are really critical. And then it's, you know, really the package and the package comes down to that 10 to 12 slides in the pitch deck and your pro formas. Um, I've got a guy in New York, David Meister, who will review pro formas for, for free. doesn't even charge a lot to help put them together. He's been, you know, doing this for VCs was referred to me by the New York Angels. Hmm. And so in my book, I talk a lot about, you know, make sure you get that pitch deck and view the investor as your customer. So I'll see people come in and they'll say really things that, you know, uh, amateurs say, if I just get one half of 1% of all the market in China, this company will be worth a billion dollars next year. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Or I have no competition. If you have no competition, there's no market. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and part of it is just being naive. And so I try to help people get educated. And certainly if you go to the SBA, they can give you somebody who's an angel investor. And it's always good to ask for advice before you ask for money. Run through that pitch deck and listen to what they say and what risks they see so that when you get in front of a real angel group, uh, you've got a good chance of getting funded. Yeah. Now, those are all really, really helpful, helpful tips there. So let, let me ask you this. I, I know even for me, and liquor.com is just one of those things. It was, it was a family business. My grandfather started foremost liquor stores in Chicago way back in, in the 30s. And so I was in that business for a minute starting in the 90s. So liquor.com for me is more of just a, like a family thing, so to speak. And it just kills me to to not see that really come into fruition and be what it should be, right? So that's more of a of an ego thing and just more I've got more emotion tied to it. So that's on one side of the table, but my heart is really in and Mary and I have talked about if you guys have listened to Reinvention Radio before, you know that we've talked about this as well. My heart is really into because I've done a lot of real estate development over the years and then with the tech background and so on, uh, I've got a pretty interesting set of skills and i've been kicking around this idea to create a it's really a real estate play but it's disguised as a tech play and it is it is easily unicorn level because there would actually be ownership of real estate so unlike other types of companies that are out there now there are actually tangible assets that will be so if all if all went to hell in a handbasket you still have the tangible assets of the real estate right nice so so it's really a real estate play but it's disguised as a tech play and there's some very unique elements of it that uh, I think gives this thing some serious legs but I, I have to admit that for some reason I've been a little bit paralyzed and I've been a little bit hesitant to be, because I know that this is a this is a fifty million dollar raise like we cannot do this on let's just go out and get five hundred k. So, and I don't know where to go to get those kind of people in, right? So this is what you talk about in your book is the best ideas are sitting there, but people don't know where to go. Where, where do I go? What do I do? Um, You know, I, you'd have to send me your executive summary and let me look at it. So there's very specific groups out there that do real estate tech investment. Yeah. uh, And those are some of the ones you should be looking at. And you can Google that. Mm-hmm. You can look at CB Insights, which tracks all the deals everywhere, plus PitchBook. And I would look at all the ones that are related to the real estate industry and find out who invested in them. So yeah. I, I even am getting introduced to a group out of Texas, and they spend you know money like that funding incubators with WeWork. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so it isn't like a huge ROI. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm happy to refer you to those people. Okay. Well, and, and that's appreciated. Yeah, Mary. Please. Well, you know, I'm kind of going backwards a little bit. Um, what about the concept of NDAs or we don't want to tell anyone or mm. get the word out into the community because yeah. it spreads? Is there any concern about that? Uh, no, there's uh, not. Most angels investors won't sign an NDA uh, mm-hmm. because they see deals all the time. I don't have time to, you know, try to uh, grow your idea. No interest whatsoever. And most investors don't. There's even a couple of VCs out there that will give you $10,000 if somebody tries to take your idea. Wow. Um, so, um, you know, usually people are too protective. If your idea is out there, somebody else has got something similar to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so professional investors typically don't sign NDAs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So so let me ask you this. And so this is a perfect example. I mean, exactly to Mary's point, like my hesitation here and in, in even declaring, and I probably should declare it, right? I mean, lay claim to it. But like even in terms of this conversation and sharing those details with you, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit, you know, I'm being a little bit vague. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a real estate play, but it's disguised as a tech play. You know, like yeah. even, even that dance there. So is that... Is that short-sighted? Is that silly? I mean, like, to Mary's point, I think we're all afraid that if it is, in fact, this this unicorn, this this deal with a B, if we share it, then somebody who actually has the money, like, I'm sitting here saying, hey, we got to go out and raise the money and make this happen. Well, I think the concern is, well, forget it. That is a great idea. We have the money. We're going to go out and do it ourselves. Or yeah. is that just I've silliness? Never, I've never once seen any investor group do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have millions, sometimes billions of dollars from investors and their number job, number one job is to find deals. Mm-hmm. I've never seen once an investor take somebody's idea and, and you specifically. So there's, a, you know, one of my favorite guys, Jason Schumann, left Corrigan Ventures, and he's now with a big family office that does real estate. And so I would send you just to people I trust. You know, yeah. Oprah said when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Mm. And and it's true, 5% of the population, I call them the dark triad, they're narcissistic, you know, sociopath, uh, Machiavellian. Only 5%? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and most other people, you know, they will help. I often teach people, you say uh, some information about your project, and then you say, what other ideas do you have for me? And number two, who else do you know I should talk to? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say just randomly go out there and, and talk to strangers. Yeah, um, I would get referrals. And, and that's the number one way that the VCs and family offices actually get deals is by referrals. So let me let me um, ask you let me ask you this then, too, uh, because I, I'd love to talk with you about it. And, you know, you are so gracious to provide your email address. And I'm sure that there will be others who have these great ideas that will be reaching out for you as well. What What do you get out of this? Like if I came to you and said, hey, Judy, I'd love for your, you know, your, your expertise to get some eyes and ears on this and, and provide some feedback. What's in it for you? You know, I love to get educated. So everybody I talk to, I will usually learn one or two or three, sometimes many things. Uh, and, and I like the challenge of making things happen. So when someone comes to me and they say, I can't figure this out or I can't get it funded, I go, aha, uh, let, let me uh, let me get out my Rolodex here and set up some meetings for you. Mm-hmm. So there was a woman in Park City, a doctor who had invented a medical device. She tried all over Salt Lake to get funded, got no's. Um, I said, you know, um, you've got two problems. You're not Mormon and you're a woman. And I took her to Boston 
San Francisco, she got 500000 and sold the company for millions. Mm. And so I love the strategy piece. I like making things happen, and, and I usually learn. And then all of the investors, when I send them deals, they are thrilled. Mm-hmm. Do they do they pay you a finder's fee or anything? No, I mean, no, no, no. It's it's a very extensive. Everybody's connected. So I was a managing director at Springboard, three hundred and fifty accredited investors, mainly women, focused mm-hmm. on women funding deals. Mm-hmm. But we've syndicated deals with a hundred and twenty other angel groups and VCs. Wow. So it, it's a really you know it's it's a network. It's an ecosystem like in in everything else. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Jeff Maureen, who who runs the Walton family uh, incubator, it's like, please send me good deals. Please send me good deals. That's insane. So yeah, yeah. so you are truly an angel. That's all you are. Yeah, you are yeah. just an angel. You're an angel here to help us. That is so very, very well, cool. Well, I'm sure it comes back to you. Well, in, it does. In, yeah. How, it, so it, how does it come back to you? Like speaking gigs and you just pride? Like you can say, hey, I was there on the ground floor when X happened and I helped make that happen? Um, you know, often the, the big companies like the one that I've brought from from Belgrade, uh, uh, they were so happy with the fact I raised money. Um, I own a chunk of that company. OK, I got uh, it. so do and, you put in, your own money in a deal sometimes? Uh, sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and I've had a couple of really interesting situations. I got hired by a, a billionaire to help him get into Boeing and a couple of other places um, mm-hmm. He gave me 60,000 shares of stock, and his two prior companies both IPO'd at $125 a share. Oh, my. So, you know, you just do the math, and sometimes they don't work, but I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, no, that, that's that's awesome. Let's let's talk about that in terms of what what do you cut off? I mean, like in a situation where somebody has – I mean, let's uh, again use me as an example here. So, great idea. Flesh it out. I'm, you know, I'll I'll be willing to hit the streets. I'll be willing to do everything that we need to do here. And great idea, but the capital needs to come in. So, what could like I I can't stroke a fifty million dollar check to make this happen, right? Just can't. Yep. So, yep. what can I expect, or what could any founder expect in in this scenario to to have to cut off to make something like that happen? What should they hold on to? What should they be thinking about? Um, you know, certainly you want to be careful on, on the valuation. So the typical valuation in the United States is 8 million. Uh, most people don't need 50 million. And I always say, just get enough money for what you need to hit significant milestone. Plus, you know, maybe a year runway for, for your pay, because that first money in is the most expensive. And as soon as you hit milestones, then the valuation keeps, you know, quadrupling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can do other raises and you lose less and less equity and, and you do it very smart. And, you know, the first thing I would do is I get you on the phone with David Meister, have him help you flesh out financials. I'd then send you to John Livesey, who I think is arguably the best guy um, in the U.S. to do pitch decks. I sent him a young fellow from Idaho, had no experience as a startup, uh, and he'd been turned down a few times. And John did a pitch deck. I introduced him to a family office in Salt Lake, and he got a term sheet for a million dollars. Mm. And so, getting that package right, and then you know, being given people that you should talk to would really uh, help. And and I really doubt. I mean, most companies don't need fifty million. Yeah. So I, yeah. I would be breaking down, Steve. How much do you really need? Let's get it to here, here, because you want to keep the majority of the stock. 
Mm-hmm. Typically, you give away 30% on that first round mm. okay. of, of the stock. And then from there, it's less and less and less. And you always have a position of control. I mean, you make sure somebody's looked at your term sheets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're not doing like a 3x non-dilutive, which, you know, you get screwed and they get all the money. Yeah. Um, and those things are important. So it's always good to go to a, a good attorney. Yeah, for sure. Is it too early to say I love you? Like, is that, uh, <laughs> are we too early I'm in our relationship? Yeah. <laughs> are we too early in our relationship? <laughs> so, what, so look, the, the, and, and as I said, I, I, God, I just, I just love this book, Crack the Funding Code. What, what's your, if, if you could kind of rub the, 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 the genie in the bottle here to give you a, a couple of wishes, what, what, what what would be a couple of those wishes that you would put forth there in terms of what you hope people get out of this book and what do you hope the impact is that this book will have on on the entrepreneurial landscape? So I, I want people to see that it's easier than they think, uh, that there's no lack of money out there, um, that they are solving somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I want them to take action. I, you know, in the back, I've got appendices. I've got all kinds of it's very practical, hands-on. I interviewed family offices, venture capitalists, angel groups. So there's very specific, you know, information. I've already heard, you know, my book was out February 5th. I got a, an email from a guy who told me he used uh, the information in there to negotiate a $2 billion deal with an offshore investor successfully. Wow. And and that just makes me do the happy dance because I know in my heart it's, you know, entrepreneurs that change the world are going to make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So one idea at a time. One idea at a time, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so let let me let me ask you this then cuz I know you you talk about risk and uh, well, I think there are some pretty interesting numbers that float out there I, just in terms of uh, most capital venture capital firms will look at you know maybe a thousand deals and they'll have meetings with maybe a hundred companies and they'll end up funding maybe twenty of those companies and two of those companies will end up actually making them money the other eighteen end up losing money so uh, what you, you talk a lot about the uh, let's just call it the five forms of risk that can scare investors away what what are those and what should we be keeping in mind? Uh, to help mitigate some of that risk that they may be, you know, it's uh, sort of the, the red lights, if you will, that go flashing off in their head. Well, you know, I, I uh, uh, so CB Insights, you know, one of one of the newsletters you should follow and, you know, I'll get your email and I'll send it to you. Sweet. Uh, they did a study last year with the New York Times and they predicted 50 companies that would become unicorns. And half of those already have. Wow. I mean, if they were a VC firm, I mean, they would be in the deep money. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what they found was the two most important things was the size of the market. We call it the TAM, the total addressable market, how big that market is. Um, and uh, um, then, um, you know, how many customers, you know, what they were doing for like a sales cycle. And I can send that information to you. So, you know, the most important thing they're looking at, like I mentioned, is that executive team. So Arthur Rock, who's kind of the godfather, the first VC in California, once said if he had two products, one an A product and one a B, and it was a B team with the A product or 
the B product had an A team, which would he pick? He'd pick the A team because he would know even if it was a B product, he could get it to market. Mm. So they're looking for that team. And that's why I say mitigate that risk with good advisors, good law firms. So uh, you've, you've got people with what they call gray hair because you're not going to you know know it all. And then if you've really so Check. Paul, yeah, Graham, Check. Got that. yeah, yeah. So so Paul Graham of Y Combinator, you know, one of the best sure. incubators out there, said there's only two reasons a startup fails. Number one's lack of a customer. Number two's lack of funding. So the quicker you can get an LOI, a potential contract, a, a little bit of customer traction, mm-hmm. uh, that's the most significant place where people are going to start writing checks yeah. for you. Yeah, so no, those are those are um, you know incredibly uh, important. But I'll tell you those numbers like with the VC, there's so much money that gets invested that isn't reported anywhere. I've I've uh, been on a podcast of a woman out of Florida called Chicky Fitzgerald, hmm. and um, she found a local guy in her city that wrote a check for six million. Wow! You know that's not reported anywhere. Yeah. And if you look at the stats of how many companies fail. Um, those you can argue with too. It could have been, you know, the company sold, changed names, any number of things. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because the idea uh, that I've been kicking around here, I mean, I do think that there's an opportunity to create an MVP, a minimal viable product there, and and for lack of a better term here, actually get people to commit without committing to the, the offerings that mm, would eventually be put forth. So in other words, they would be committing to to doing basically signing up as a customer, so to speak, without committing to actually being a customer. But yeah. I think that there's an opportunity there to create some sort of MVP around that. Talk about uh, that process as a way of mitigating risk. Yeah. So minimum minimal viable product um, is you know just what you can put together to have some kind of proof that you've created something. Uh, of interest. And so you don't spend a ton of money on the software development. There's a great little company in Salt Lake called Tinker Ventures, and they they outsource. It's for people who don't have the money. And these people will, you know, take a small percentage of stock and they do some money, uh, much like Wilson Sassini Law Firm, by the way. They don't charge anything for a year. And uh, some of the best companies on the planet have outsourced LinkedIn, Slack, many of, of the good ones, because you don't have the time to recruit the best kind of engineers, and then you've got to get them all to work together as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by then, maybe the, the window has, has closed a bit. And I'm happy to introduce you to Aaron Valenti, who's the founder of, of Tinker, um, and you know has, I don't know, 400-plus developers. Wow. And so um, that's, that's a good way. You know, I'll have people come to me and say, oh, you know, I've got to have $5 million, and, and I look at what they're doing, and I go, you know, you can – uh, get some college interns here. You could, you know, do this with outsourcing here. Yeah, yeah. Now this is this has been so helpful, and uh, you've got a lot of work to do on my behalf, Judy. So uh, okay. you, who, who, <laughs> who, who knew you were going to end up with so much to do after and, this interview? And, and Steve, <laughs> yes. Zillow. I, I mean, if what you're saying it's real estate and tech, Zillow. I, yeah. I mean, all of those companies like that, they would be knocking at your door. Yeah, and, and again, I think that the opportunity here, and and it would be a, and there's there's a few that would pick this thing up long before it scale just to 
to get in on almost almost preventative, so to speak. So it, it, it's crystal clear on my mind. We will definitely chat more. Anything else you want to add, Judy, before we let you go? And given uh, you know how, how in demand you are, the fact that you're here with us today for an hour is so appreciated. But anything else you want to add before we let you go? Yeah, I'm going to send some information um, to have available for for listeners. If if uh, we can we can do that. Absolutely. I've got a Harvard Business Review article. Do you want to be king or or do you want to make money? Mm. You know, the big problem is most of the founders want to control it all, uh, mm. and, and that doesn't work. And I'll send you an article on hair on the deal that kind of explains what the what that means. I'll send a one pager of how to do a business model. And I'm going to send for your folks the uh, the workbook that goes along with my book. And by the way, my book became an international bestseller about yeah. a week ago. I'm just thrilled. Nice. So I'll, I'll send that. And and truly, Steve, Mary, you know, happy to help. And and I'm serious. Yeah. Wow. We really appreciate That's that. Awesome. So we'll um, we'll we'll get together with you and your team there and we'll figure out how to put that all that stuff up nice and easy somewhere for folks to to access so thank you for all of those amazing resources judy robinette crack the funding code how investors think and what they need to hear to fund your startup i literally got the book yesterday and poured through it uh for this interview and i gotta tell you it is an absolute must read for I know every, you walked in so excited. Oh my God! For every entrepreneur, yeah. So Judy, thank you so much, and thank uh, you. And we will Thanks, talk Judy. to you really, really, really soon. Wow, Mary I know it. I, I have all these ideas now. Right, and and it's really interesting too to hear Judy talk about it from the standpoint of how many of these companies would actually work with you, even if you don't have the cap. I guess they're probably not expecting you to have the capital. Yeah, otherwise, you'd be out doing role. it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So pretty interesting. Just and- seems to have opened up to a much larger market of opportunity for entrepreneurs. I, I think what happened, honestly, with some of that is um, there's been some home runs, right? And so even if you weren't in on the ground level, you could get in on you know on kind of a on, on a second floor level with some of those companies and still do really really well. And so with what's going on in real estate and, and it's been a really good, you know, bull run in real estate over the last 10, 12 years. And and again, with a lot of these companies now having excess capital, the Amazons of the world and the Walmarts right. and the Apples and so on and putting that capital to use, you have people who are exiting. So I think what's happening, what's happening is that there's just a lot more capital available now because of – a lot of the the success that's happened here in the bull run now, of course, is that going to continue? I don't know, but I'll tell you this: the window's open right now. Run through it, right? Yeah, I you think know? it's awesome. And, Boy, we've ta- she- and we've talked about some of your ideas. Yes. So you know, now's the time, right? Yeah, and what a sharp lady! Super sharp and, and super giving. Yes, and so. High energy and great interview. I can imagine her being a fabulous speaker. Reinventing funding. There we go. And uh, and for those of you who have not yet uh, heard me say it, I'll say it again here. Grab her book, Crack the Funding Code, How Investors Think and What They Need to Hear to Fund Your Startup, Judy Robinette. Wow. Good stuff here from Ari Goulet, Richie Ote, White Wade, and Kelly Poker. I'm Steve Ulsher. We'll talk to you next time on Reinvention Radio. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.